Well, amen. It is great to see everyone. And don't blame me for that song, by the way. So, Well, I tell you what, I have been looking forward to today for uh, quite a while. And I want to thank uh, Sivan and the ladies for uh, inviting Patty to come and do the ladies' retreat. And uh, then I don't know whose idea it was that I come along to, but I'm glad it was. And so, Aaron, thank you. I know uh, it is... Uh, Sometimes difficult to uh, share your pulpit and give away the pulpit, but uh, it is uh, exciting to be here. And, uh, you know, some of you have aged extremely well. I don't know why you look like you haven't changed. Of course, a lot of them have changed. It's the uh, younger ones that were the same age as my kids when they were here, and it's amazing now to see them leading and serving and doing all kinds of things. And, and uh, I'm here this morning to preach God's Word, but I know you want to see some pictures, right? So let's, put, let's see what we've got here. Um, we dug that one out of the archives. Um, that was close to our last Sunday here, 15 years ago. Some of you are still trying to do the math there. It took me a couple days to figure that out. But uh, uh, you can see everybody looks great there. Uh, you know, Patty hasn't changed a whole lot, a little shorter hair. Um, and uh, I don't know who that guy is there with the tie in the middle. But anyways, uh, we have changed some. But our kids have changed tremendously. So let's see who we've got first. This is Rachel now. And uh, uh, many of you know Rachel is in Japan. Uh, she graduated from Southwest Baptist University in uh, Bolivar, Missouri. She graduated in May and left um, middle to end of June in, to go to Japan. Very quick turnaround. Uh, she is teaching English. Uh, right now she has fifth graders. Uh, it is an after-school program. So she uh, gets these kids after they've done their full day of school, and she is teaching them uh, English, and she's really having a great time, and she will be there through the end of their school year, which is in March. Their school year runs April to March, and so uh, she'll be coming home, and you can pray for that, that God would open up what the next phase in her life is. Uh, but uh, what a life-changing experience for her, and to be honest, the life-changing experience for us to have her in Japan. I am just glad that there is FaceTime, is all I can say, because we get to talk to her quite often. And then uh, our beloved son, Philip, and uh, that is almost a smile, and that's about all you're going to get from uh, Philip. He is, uh, he is a, a strapping, stoic young man. Uh, he has trimmed his beard there. Uh, when he came home from his first semester in college, his beard was Duck Dynasty red, hanging all the way down there. But uh, Philip is just a hair under me. I told him he has to stop growing now because he's just a fraction under me. And if I lose any more hair, that probably will change. But uh, he is uh, at broad shoulders, just uh, strong. Uh, I was talking to Dustin as he's up for drumming. My son is a drummer. Uh, Philip uh, played in our praise band before he went to college. He is in at Judson University. Justin is, is just outside Chicago, 40 miles outside Chicago. And he's, uh, I never can get the title of his major, but it's sports, health and wellness, science, sports, something. And so he is, uh, he is doing that, and he is having a, a good time. And it's just a blessing to see our kids uh, serving the Lord. He's on one of their chapel rotation teams uh, playing uh, music there. Uh, and so it is just good to see uh, the kids uh, growing and serving the Lord. And so uh, I knew you would enjoy seeing those pictures. Well, again, it is, uh, it is wonderful to be here, but I want us to uh, go to the Word of God. So if you'll take your Bibles and you'll turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I don't know about you, but there is nothing more encouraging than knowing that somebody is praying for you. 
And I mean, I mean really praying for you. I don't mean the hallway where somebody says, I will be praying for you, and you really don't think they're going to pray for you. But you know that somebody is praying for you and that they're lifting you up uh, to, to the Lord. Um, and the only thing that maybe is more encouraging than that is to know that Jesus is praying for you, and Jesus is praying for me. The Bible talks about the fact that Jesus makes intercession for us, and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. But when we come to John chapter 17, we have this, this prayer of Jesus. And, and uh, in the context here, if you think about it, Jesus is on the way to the cross. I mean, he's left the upper room, and they're on their way to the garden. And somewhere in that, that travel, he stops to pray for his disciples. And with everything that he was, was getting ready to bear and everything that he was going to be carrying, the fact that he still had his love and his care and his ministry for us on his mind is amazing in its own right. And when we think about the fact that Jesus prays for us, it, it, is, it is this prayer or the fact that he is praying for us that really should bring to us a tremendous amount of, of comfort and encouragement and, and security in our life. The fact that as he was going to bear our sins and redeem us, he's also thinking about us. Now, John chapter 17, many have divided this prayer into kind of three sections. Verses 1 through 6 is Jesus just affirming who he was. He's affirming his godness. He's affirming the fact that he it was on mission for God. And this is significant because don't ever believe, don't ever buy into the belief, the false teaching, that Jesus didn't know who he was, that he just kind of figured out along the way. No, Jesus knew he was the Son of God. He knew he came on mission to die for the sins of the world. He literally was born to die. And so, so Jesus affirms this in, in those first six verses. He says, I finished what you sent me to do, is what he says. When we move into verses 6 through uh, 19, Jesus is specifically praying for the disciples that were there and, and those followers that would come very immediately. Uh, he's really praying for them how they would operate post-cross and post-resurrection, as Jesus would not be with them in his person. He would not be walking with them and teaching them and, and, and in their presence. So he's praying for them how they should live. And really, he is praying for us as well, because everyone in this room who knows Jesus as their Savior Lord, we came to know him post-cross and, and post-resurrection. So, so he prays for us. And then in verse 20, he specifically prays for those who would come to know him Afterward, that would come to know him in the future. There again, that includes all of us who know Christ. We came to know Christ in the future. And so he's praying for, for his immediate disciples. He's praying for all those who will come to saving faith. Jesus is praying for us. Now, folks, let that sink in. All right? Jesus, who is God in the flesh, Jesus, who came and operates according to the will of God, Jesus, who, who knows the heart and will of God, is praying for you and praying for me. He who knows the will of God, prays according to the will of God, is praying for us. You know what that means? That means what he prays will be accomplished. We don't have to worry about, well, you know, if it be your will. No, he knows the will. He's praying for us. So let's look at some scriptures in this prayer. I want to begin reading in verse 9, and uh, I'm going to read through verse 9 through 11, and then jump down to verse 14. So let's, let's, let's read God's word together. You follow along as I read. John 17, verse 9. says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Jump down to verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that they, you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, just the uh, reconnection with friends and reconnection to a place that is so special to me, so important uh, in, in my life. And, and Father, just uh, the, the, the sovereignty of God that you allowed our past to cross. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this church that ministered to, to my family in those times. And, and uh, Father, you know, things change. Uh, things uh, um, shift. People, uh, you know, go on to be with the Lord. And some move on to other places. But, Father, I thank you that we can come together and celebrate and, and, and fellowship around your word. And, Father, this morning, I just simply pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds. Father, that we might see your truth this morning. Father, write your word on our hearts. And Father, I pray today that I may decrease so that you could increase. Pray that nothing I would say would take away from your word. And Father, I pray that you would accomplish your purposes and your plans in our lives this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, why does Jesus specifically pray for us? There's actually lots of things in this prayer that no way I can cover that in just, just one message. So very quickly, let me summarize these, and I think these are on your, your notes part of the worship guide there so we can go rather quickly. The first thing Jesus prays for is he prays for spiritual uh, transformation. He prays that we will be changed. He prays that we will be, be glorified and that we'll uh, come to, to glorify him. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, now they have not... They have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And then verse 17, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. And let me just simply say that spiritual transformation comes by the word of God. There is no shortcut. There is no, no simple way around that. Our spiritual growth is going to be paralleled to our time and intent that we spend in the word of God and how we follow the word of God and apply it to our life. So he prays for spiritual transformation in our life. Number two, he prays for our spiritual protection, our spiritual protection. Look at verse 11. He says, now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. 
Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. One of the repeated themes in John chapter 17 in his prayer is that we are kept and would be kept by the Father. So when I'm talking about protection here, I'm not necessarily saying that we protect from bad stuff happening in our life or difficulty or problems. We all know that that prayer is not answered because we live in a life where life happens, right? And, and there are difficulties and there are challenges in our life. But what we can know is it doesn't matter how dark the valley that we walk through, that we are secure in Christ. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And so he prays for our protection or our perseverance, so to speak. Number three, Jesus prays for effective witness. He prays for effective witness. He prays that we will be effective in our witness. Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The folks don't miss this. Jesus expects that his followers will impact the world that they live in and that there will be others who come to know Christ by the way they live their life. He says, listen, I'm praying for your witness, and I'm praying for those who will come to know Christ because of your witness. Folks, that's who we are. It's who we're to be. So he prays that our witness would be uh, effective as we go from him. But there's one final prayer request that permeates this whole prayer, and it's really where I want to zero in on this morning. Jesus prays for spiritual unity. Jesus prays for spiritual unity. He prays that we would be united, that we would be unified, that we would be one. He goes so far to say that I pray that they would be one as the Father and I are one. Let's look at this again. Verse 11, John chapter 17. For I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I came to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we. And really the word are is added later for clarification. It says that we are one as we. You know, just just simple statement. Jump down to verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And let me just stop right there. Um, as you have loved me. Okay, so he prays for this unity. Now, unity, uh, oneness, togetherness, whatever word you want to use, I, I think there is sometimes a false image of what unity or oneness should be. Jesus is not praying that we would have some kind of organizational unity. Now, I think organization is very important. I believe the Bible uh, teaches structure. I think there's leadership. We know that there's authority that is given to God's Word. But, but we're not talking about organizational uh, unity here. Uh, there can be you know, differences there, but th- that's not what he's talking about. He's also not talking about some attitude of, of moral tolerance. Okay? Now, the world talks about tolerance, but really what they talk about is an absence of any convictions. Okay? They're talking about, you know, we're just all in the same boat here. We're all okay, and you can't say, you know, no, this is not what Jesus is talking about. We, we know that. The fact is that we need spiritual convictions, and, and we need to live out those convictions. The, the unity that he's talking about here is, is 
supernatural unity. It's supernatural oneness. It's a, it's a supernatural oneness that unites all believers and it's expressed in true love. And the word that I like to use is the word togetherness. Togetherness. And the New Testament uses this. It, it tells us all the time the things that we are to do together. And our togetherness is in Christ, in the Spirit, based on the Word of God. And let me just simply say, our unity and togetherness is the most powerful witness we have to a lost and dying world. And hear what I'm saying. It is the Word of God that brings conviction and changes a person's life. Okay, So I'm not talking about conversion. I'm talking about our witness to a world is when we take God's Word and we live it out in togetherness and unity. So let's look at some things that, that I think this passage teaches us about unity. Number one, unity flows from our oneness in Christ. So our togetherness, our oneness, our unity flows from oneness in Christ. Jump up to verse 6. John 17, verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now simply just read that passage there to remind us that we belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. And folks, that is a powerful statement in its own right. Again, he prayed for our security. He, he prayed for the fact that, that, that we would, would, would be kept. And, and it's because we belong to him. We have a relationship with Christ. Look at verses 9 through 11 again. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we. Now, let's dialogue a little bit with the text. I think sometimes we just run through things, and so let's just think a little bit. How in the world can we be one with one another, or how in the world can we be one with Christ in the same way that Christ is one with God. I mean, the oneness of God in Christ is the greatest miracle in human history. The fact that that Jesus was born supernaturally to Mary, that God is his father, that he's the only begotten son of God. I mean, think about that. That is incredible. And he says, I want us to be one as we are. How can that happen? Well, it's actually very simple. Because the Bible says when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we confess him and we repent of our sin and we surrender to him that our lives, that we are transferred from death into life. The Bible tells us that Christ's life now becomes our life. And sometimes we talk about this as the positional truths. We are positionally in Christ. And I will tell you, I think the key to the Christian life, okay, the key to the Christian life is learning to live like who we are not like who we were. Learning to live like who we are, not like who we were. So who were we? Well, before Christ, we were, uh, we were at war with God, the Bible says. Before Christ, we were dead in sin. Before Christ, we were slaves to sin. Who are we now in Christ, those of us who, who have received him? Well, in Christ, we are children of God. The Bible says in Christ, we are dead to sin. And in Christ, we are free to walk in the newness of life. 
Again, we can live like who we are, not like who we were. And this is how we are one in Christ as they are one. At least to number two. Number two, practical unity, okay, the expression of that, practical unity is expressed in his church. Practical unity is expressed in his church. Now, let's talk about the church a little bit. We have a vocabulary and we have a thought process. You woke up this morning and some of you said, oh boy, we got to go to church. Or some of you said, oh, we've got to go to church to see this crazy guy and to see what he looks like and to see pictures of his family and those kind of things. And some of you said, we got to go to church and you got here and you were sorely disappointed because you're not here in Brother Aaron. Okay, I, I get all that. But in the New Testament, that language would have been totally foreign. They, they would have never said, we are going to go to church. Because in the New Testament, they understood they were the church. I mean, the church wasn't a place you went to. Now, now what we see in, as we read the New Testament, we understand that the, and the word church doesn't appear that often in the New Testament, actually, but we understand that there is a universal church, okay? That is, is everyone who knows Jesus Christ uh, you know, around the world, those who have, those who will, are part of the church. We do see in Scripture, however, there is an expression of a local body of believers. Paul would write to the church at Galatia, the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, so on and so forth. So we know that there's this expression, this, this local expression of the, of the body of Christ. And so we see in Scripture that, that we talk about this gathering that we call the church. Okay, So even though our language is a little different, maybe be theologically a little, a little off, we understand what we're talking about here. But it is the body of Christ that is to express Christ to a lost and dying world. Okay, so that's the foundation here. Let's look at verses 20 and 21 again. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now here's the, the, the key point that I just want to bring here. Our unity is to be seen. Our unity is to be noticed. People should take notice that there is something different about a follower of Christ and about a group of followers that, that make up a church. There is something different about this. Jesus said that they would know that we are Christians by our love. If you go back to John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and they totally missed that whole point, so he had to sit them down and said, guys, this is what this means. And the reason that they missed the whole point about washing the, their feet is because they were trying to argue and figure out who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, so he had to knock their legs out from them there. And then he issued, you know, institutes the Lord's Supper to them, and he gives them this command or this statement in John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. All right, so let's just kind of dialogue with Scripture again. A new commandment? I mean, we can go to Deuteronomy, right? We can go to the Ten Commandments and the moral code that God gave me. He would tell us to love your neighbor as yourself. So, so why is this a new commandment? Well, the new commandment was not to love one another, that's a very old commandment. The new commandment was to love one another the way I love you. And the reason it was a new commandment 
is because they hadn't witnessed the full love of God yet. Because Jesus was going to the cross. And when Jesus would give himself for the salvation of mankind, they saw a different kind of love. And he says, that's the way you're to love me. That's the way you're to be unified. That's how oneness is to look in the body of Christ. So let me just give you some some statements here of how we live out this unity within the body of Christ. And let me just simply say, this is not your church. This is not my church. It's all of our churches. I also can say, Aaron didn't tell me what to say, okay? Uh, God gave me really this, this message several, several weeks ago. And uh, as, as he and I did talk, it was confirmed that uh, God may be saying something uh, that needs to be said, okay? First of all, we are to have unity in the body of Christ. Our unity is to be in purpose in calling. or to have unity in purpose in calling. Ephesians chapter 4, I think Ephesians is the church epistle. Paul wrote it to the church of Ephesus. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now this is a command that he's giving to the church. He's giving to the church to say, listen, this is how you're to live your lives. This is how you're to do church. You're to do church according to the calling by which you were called or walk worthy by that calling. Folks, let me just simply say that when we realize that our life and our churches are not about us, but about him, things will go so much easier. You see, when things are about us, it becomes about comfort. When things are about us, it becomes about our preferences. But when we realize that we are called for a higher purpose and that our unity is that we function around that calling, then we're, we're all together in this thing. Our calling is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, listen, we have good news to share. The good news is that Jesus has provided for our salvation. Matthew chapter 28, many of us are familiar with this, this great commission as we call it. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, listen. Supernatural unity is not achieved through agreement on every aspect of, of, of our decisions. First of all, that is impossible. And second of all, it's not even remotely what the Bible is talking about. As a matter of fact, we see spiritual division in Scripture. I mean, we see, see parties deciding to go different ways. Um, maybe that's why Jesus prays for unity, because he knows how fragile our unity is. Unity is not based on how we dress or what we sing or any other flesh expression, even though I'm so grateful Aaron told me I didn't have to wear a tie. But anyways, uh, our unity, listen, our unity comes from being in Christ. Our unity comes from communing together for His glory and allowing His glory to shine through our life. Our unity comes because we have been commissioned on the same army with the same mission to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And folks, let me tell you, there's two things that should unify us. We should be unified with a broken heart because of the urgency that we see that people are lost and dying, and without Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. That should motivate us with burden. And we should be unified, number two, because we have the good news of salvation, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if those two things cannot unify us, unify us, then we've got bigger problems. We've got bigger problems than the fact that we just can't agree on certain things. There needs to be unity in our purpose and uh, calling. Number two, there's unity in God's word. There's to be unity in God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. Those of you that remember, you know I can talk fast, right? I notice, I notice I did not say that we need to be unified on God's word. Now, we can split hairs here with this preposition. I think sometimes we are unified on God's word, but we never open it up and really see what's in God's word. Uh, that can lead to kind of egotism. That can kind of lead to a kind of a prideful spirit there. Now, hear what I'm saying. Um, we, we need to stand firm in the word of God. But let's just be honest. There are... God-loving, Bible-believing, redeemed, gospel-centered people. And there are going to be differences in how we, we interpret God's word. There's differences in our beliefs, and differences exist. It's why we have different denominations. It's why we have different churches. And in this midst of differences, we must have a humility with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Yes, there are beliefs that we hold on to, and we must never compromise on God's word. But folks, let me tell you, if there is disagreement, it's not a problem with the Bible. It's a problem with us. It's a problem with our understanding and, and, and our um, you know, lack of ability to understand the mysteries of God. I, I love that Paul talks about the mysteries of God. I think we've kind of missed that we're not supposed to understand everything about God. There's a height and depth and width and breadth that we will never understand about God. Several weeks ago at uh, our church in, in Missouri, we were, uh, had a deacon's meeting. We were talking about some of this, and one of my deacons shared this verse. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Now these things, brother, and I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Of course, Paul's talking here. And this is the phrase that really caught me that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Folks, we always get in trouble if we add to or take away from what the text says. We insert our opinion, we insert our thoughts, and we can become unpuffed, <laughs> unpuffed. We can be unpuffed up. Let me tell you what we need. What we need is uncompromising humility. We need uncompromising humility. And folks, listen, God is not glorified, and we are not following him when we pit church against church, or believer against believer. The Bible already warns us of that. He says, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemy is, is Satan. Your enemy is the power of the darkness. And I get so tired of everything that we talk about now. Is like, well, which side are you on? I don't, I'm not taking sides. I'm on God's side if there's a side. And we need to realize that we're on the same team and we're working for the same purpose. So there needs to be unity in God's word. Number two, or three, there is unity in fellowship. Unity in fellowship. Now somebody's saying, finally, something that we can agree on. Well, I'm not talking about fried chicken here. What I, 
And again, let me just keep going. I'm already, you know, knee deep in this thing. I think we spend too much of our time criticizing and critiquing the minor things of the gospel, the secondary things of of the gospel. And oftentimes what that becomes is we begin to evaluate situations, whether it's a church or people or individuals, we begin to evaluate them on our definition of what they should look like and how they should act and how they should behave. And, and, And so we get down in this mired stuff. Listen, Holiness is important to God, very important to God. Our behavior does matter. God calls us to holiness. God calls us to the fruit of the Spirit. But God's Word also cautions us to say that it's man who looks on the outward appearance. It's God who looks at the heart. We must be more concerned, first of all, with our own lives. Remember the whole speck in our eye situation? The speck in our eye help, keeps us from seeing clearly the, this, what's going on in another person's eye. And so we've talked about the Great Commission. Now we need to talk about the Great Commandment. We need to examine ourselves. Do we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then we love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're going to be concerned with anything, let's be concerned with the fact, does this person know Jesus? And second of all, are they following him and glorifying and allowing him to be glorified in their lives? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 again. It tells us to walk according to our calling. Listen to how he ends Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. In case we can't memorize that list, he says, therefore be imitators of God. <laughs> yeah, I, I can try that, right? Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Again, let me just talk a moment. I, Again, I'm not talking specifically to, to this church or a church or, or my church in Festus, but I often wonder, I wonder if the weakness that we too often see in, in the, the American church, it's the only church I really know, I, I wonder if the lack of impact in our communities, to, to be honest, that, that sometimes we see, I even wonder if some of the drifting that we see in our churches I wonder if it doesn't have more to do with how we love one another than even our doctrinal purity. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. God warns us against false teachers. God warns us that we, we need to, to stand on the word of God and, and, and doctrine. But, but I think what happens is we, we pick and choose the parts of God's word that we want to stand on, right? Because God's word tells us that we're to live in togetherness. God's word tells us that we're to love our brother. We're to care for one another. God's word tells us to mourn with those who mourn. God's word tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. God's word tells us that we're to pray with one another. God's word tells us that we're to confess our sin to one another. That doesn't mean be willing to listen to other people's sins. That means you be willing to confess your sin to one another. God's word, again, tells us that we are to forgive, to lift up those who are struggling. God's word tells us we're to seek healing for one another, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Folks, that's hard, and it's messy, and it's difficult. But this is the unity of fellowship. 
Now, this brings us to the, the last point. Really, the last point is one aspect of application. It's how do we express this unity of calling, this unity of purpose, this unity of fellowship, this, this unity that, that he calls for? How do we do this? And the application is the text. Because the application is not explicitly given to us. The application is the fact that Jesus prays for us. And the reality is the application is this final point, is that there must be unity in prayer. Jesus doesn't tell us to pray in this passage. He just prays. He just models for us the application. Now, again, I know I'm going long, but I'm a guest preacher, so I can go as long as I want. (laughs) I don't have time to unpack all of John for you, but starting really in John chapter 13, again, he's on this journey to the cross, so this final phase of John's gospel, woven through those final chapters is commands to pray. He commands us to pray in John chapter 14. He commands us to pray in John chapter 15. He commands us to pray in John chapter 16. Very quickly, here's why he commands us to pray. Number one, prayer glorifies the Father. Number two, prayer declares our weakness and our utter dependence on him. And finally, prayer unleashes the power of God in our lives. Let me just read one of these texts. This is John chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And that's another one of those verses. When you read it, you're like, really? I mean, how can this be? But I don't have time for that, okay? Verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And it's just three chapters later that he's going to pray that we'd be unified together in the body of Christ. That we would be one in Christ as he and the Father are one that we would be unified as we go out and we live post-cross and post-resurrection, that we would be so unified that people would hear, listen, what the text said, the text says that people would see our lives and the word of God in our lives, that they would come to know Christ. The power of evangelism is in the power of us to live together in Christ. And so he ends this prayer in John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be, one, may be with me where I am. Now, he's clearly talking about in time. As Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he says, I'm going to keep them, and there's a day that we are all going to, to be united with him in heaven. That they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, this is verse 25, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with you, which with you love me may be in them and I in them. So how are we unified? We're unified in Christ. We're unified as we express love for one another. And it's what the church is all about as we live for the gospel. And we are unified in prayer. So this morning, I think the invitation or the application is pretty clear. The invitation is for us to pray. Now, of course, the invitation is always for anyone who is here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And 
and uh, you feel God's call in your life today, I'd love to visit with you and talk to you about what it means to know Christ. But this morning, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I'm going to ask Pastor Aaron to come up here. And Melanie, why don't you come up with him? I didn't prep you for this, but you come on up here. If your head's about eyes closed, in just a moment, I'm going to hand things over to uh, uh, Aaron and Melanie. And let me go ahead and have you all to stand. And musicians, Myra, you can go ahead and whatever, have something planned. Your head's about eyes closed, no one looking around. I just do this because I want to, you to focus on what God may be saying to you this morning. The first thing that I want us to do this morning is I want you to pray for your pastor and his wife. And I know not everybody can come and lay hands on them, but if God moves you this morning, maybe you just need to come and and surround them. Let me tell you, I understand the blessing and the burden of being a pastor because I are one. And uh, I also understand the blessing and the burden of being a pastor's wife. And let me tell you what your pastor needs more than anything that you can bring to him. He needs to know that you are praying for him. So as you're coming to pray for him, in just a moment, I'm going to to voice a prayer for him with us. Let's pray for your pastor. Father, I thank you for Aaron. Father, I thank you for leading him to this church. Father, I thank you for the calling that you have placed on his life. And, and as he and I were just talking about the fact that he, he hopes this is where he's going to be uh, for a long time, if, if not the rest of his ministry. And Father, I pray that you would protect him. I pray that you would protect Melanie, his wife. I pray that you would protect their family. Father, I pray that you would hold them up when they're weak. Father, that you would give them your spirit and grace and wisdom so that they can lead in vision and strength. And Father, I pray that you would just um, fall on this place, that your grace would be powerful. Father, I pray that you would give him a clear vision of the gospel and how this church can be about the gospel. Father, I pray that you'd help him to love people the way that you loved us. And Father, this church would be known, Southview Baptist Church would be known as a church that is full of a new commandment. A new commandment, not to love, but to love the way that you loved us. Father, I thank you for your leadership here at Southview. You guys can go ahead and go back to your seat if you want, or you can stay here and pray for Aaron, that's fine. I want to give another aspect of invitation. Again, with your heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe this morning you're here, and you know that there's somebody in this body that you need to pray for. Maybe it's somebody who's hurting. Maybe it's somebody who's going through a difficult time. Maybe it's somebody whose family's going through a difficult time. Maybe it's something that you know that no one else knows, and you just need to pray for them. I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you just need to come here to the altar and pray for them. Maybe you need to go to that person and pray with them. But I want you to spend time praying for one another this morning. Maybe there's somebody here that you need to to do a little prayer um, forgiveness and confession with. Maybe you need to go to that person. But I want to encourage us to, to come come here and pray. Aaron, I'm going to let you take this and direct this from where you want. But, but let's come, even now. Uh, if you would come, kneel here at the front, sit on the front uh, pews. I know not you know, all of you are able to, to kneel. I, I get that. But let's spend time praying. If you need to talk to somebody about salvation, I will be here along with Aaron. 
Uh, but let's spend time praying this morning. And then, Aaron, I want to ask you if, when appropriate, you close us in the prayer uh, for, for the body. So let's, you come. You have your invitation. You can come pray, but those of you remaining, if you'll sing with us.